Hello, and welcome to Tape Makers, a podcast about ranking every album of all time to figure out, once and for all, what album is best, definitively, based off of our opinion. My name is Josh Dollar, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Jared Richard. Hi, Jared. How you doing? What up, people? Hey. Yeah, so uh, episode one, it's a little bit of figuring out what this is, what we're doing. But the basic overview is we're going to be talking about every album we possibly can from every genre of music, from every time, like decade time in the history of music that we can find. Yeah, if we can find music from the future, you know we're going to review that yeah, shit. exactly. And we're just going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what we like, what we dislike, some of the background on the music, some of the... What did people think about the music at the time? What do they think about it now? And then at the very end, we have a very scientific rating system that we'll get to later in the episode about uh, how those albums rank. And so we're going to get some really fun stuff. I think the eventual goal is for us to figure out uh, what album is better, uh, Justin Bieber's Baby or the Beatles' uh, White Album, you know? Wait, the album is called Baby? I, isn't that what it's called? I don't know. We're going to figure out when we do that. <laughs> When we do that. So, yeah. Um, Jared, do you want to give the people a little bit of background in what you like about music, your your history with music? You are also a uh, musician, if that's an, a term I can use for what you do. <laughs> that's, well, I'm offended, frankly. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm an artiste. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, what, I, what do I like about music? That's a, that's a loaded fucking question. Okay, let's... When did you first starting to view music as more than just stuff that was on the radio? Right, where it was where it went from being decoration to being art. Right. Um I mean, that's got to be Oh Gravity by Switchfoot. I got that album when I was 12 years old and that like changed my fucking life. Um little, little small church kid. Little little small church kid listening to like fun punky riffs. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, so uh, I'm sure we'll review it at some point. Oh, it'll it's, it'll be in there eventually. <laughs> it's in the mix. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah, I think that was the album that where it was like, oh, this makes me feel things. Right. Okay. I feel things because of the notes, the way the air is vibrating in mm-hmm. my ears. Wow. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean that's that. If anybody likes music, that's what they like about music. Yeah, it, it, when it becomes more than just stuff you hear when you're you're driving a place or at the mall or anything like that, it, it makes you feel a thing, and it's like, oh, I want to chase that again. I want to chase more of that stuff that makes me feel right uh, more than that. And you are also, as I said, a musician by by name, maybe not by trade. That's true. I uh, yeah, I play in Show Tigers. I'm one one third. I sing right lyrics play guitar play bass guitar that's that's a whole thing we won't get into (laughs) but um i dink around on piano sometimes um i don't have any like uh train like i don't have a trained background right um i didn't take lessons for guitar unless you count my bandmate teaching me what a g chord was right when, yeah you know i was 15 um but you're self-taught for the most part for, yeah uh, as, as self-taught as anybody can be right yeah a lot of youtube videos and stuff like yeah, that. yeah youtube videos ultimate guitar tabs yeah uh 
the, the goods about intervals. Yeah. Uh, what would you say when you have a choice of like genre of music or type of music? What do you usually choose to to listen to, or what's kind of go tos for you? Oh, I mean, that's uh, what kind of movies do you watch? Uh, well, fair, I guess fair. <laughs> you also that, that also depends on who you're talking to, because right. like there, are, I mean, you know, if you ask my mom, it's like action and comedy. That's it, right? But and you're if all... you got an action comedy, oh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what what's kind of because um, you're a big you your influences are kind of like Spoon, um, kind of the that mid to late thousands yeah so indie. so for sure like the the subgenre i guess that most heavily affected my outlook on music would be like uh mid 2000s to to 20 teens indie rock mm-hmm. um and that's like you know as an adult as i'm approaching 30 slowly i'm right. like uh you know i'm well past the point of like feeling like i'm cool because i know of bands that other people don't know and shit like that right um and so it's kind of like embarrassing to say like oh yeah indie rocks my like my my the genre of my soul where it's for sure um but it's it's a subgenre that is fraught with experimentation (laughs) but still within the confines of being listenable for sure um and that probably sums up my uh what i look for in music and what i look for when i'm writing music better than anything else right is how how interesting how uh different how exciting can i make this while still having it be something that anybody could listen to and tap their Mm. foot to you Mm. know right finding that middle ground between this is artistically fulfilling for me and I'm, I'm reaching out to new heights and new ideas, but still someone's going to be like, Hey, I liked that. Right. That was good. That right. Was, that was listenable. That's the thing is that I, I, I love it when there are layers that can be peeled back when you're looking to peel back layers, but mm-hmm. on the surface, it's still very presentable. Right. For sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, talking about layers to be peeled back and maybe even a lack thereof let's talk about pearl jams 10 i'm gonna talk about my stuff first oh shit you're right josh do you want to look i gotta adjust my mic anyway let's just yeah this is a good edit this is a good edit point uh i also just wish i had better mic stands for this setup oh, you're fine better posture oh yeah that's uh, a, that's a for sure we're gonna either be older men quicker or get better posture by the end of this um or better chairs um josh do you want to tell us about your background in music for sure what you're interested in what you look for what you listen for i suppose yeah for sure uh so for me music was something that ended in like the 1970s for most of my childhood growing up that's right yeah because my my parents were the only people who really introduced me to music you know most of my my friendship when i was younger was revolved around everything besides music Mm -hmm. so the only real musical influence i had was whatever my parents were listening to and they're they grew up in the the 60s and the 70s so it's a lot of like john mellencamp tom petty jimmy buffett they both they love jimmy buffett actually the first live concert i ever went to when i was 12 was a jimmy buffett concert so that was 
There's, a, I mean, that's a subgenre that there's some worthwhile gems in there. Yes, yacht rock and other <laughs> dad rock. Um, They're small gems. Yeah, small <laughs> gems. Um, but yeah, so I didn't really start to um, discover music for myself or even for my age range, you know, of like, what is popular music? What are my friends listening to or same age range of people listening to until I was like eighth grade freshman something like that so mm. i was like i was like 14 15 i was super late to it that well that was about the same for me i mean like i had uh, yeah no we you're can good get into that yeah. later um and so when i did i just went in really hard with all right well i've never been a big fan of pop music i tried to do that for like a year and then life's circumstances were like well i just got to get away from this shit um and so i fell really hard into pop punk Mm -hmm. at the time like really hard like all but mostly like 90s pop punk it was it was less of what that it was less modern stuff you know it was offspring pennywise green day Mm -hmm. um kind of that like first wave a little bit of blink 182 but like the early blink 182 before they got massively popular some 41's first stuff so like mid 90s to early thousands pop punk was kind of what i really fell into and then as my musical taste started to change and grow a bit, it started to um, follow more in line with the trends of what was happening. You know, the turn of like 2010 um, started happening and Mumford and Sons first album came out. So then there was this whole wave of like indie folk pop. Um, And so kind of falling into the same realm of you, but kind of a five to 10 years later of that. What Mm -hmm. is indie rock? What is indie folk rock? What is right? All of that stuff, and then falling more. And by yeah, that no, time, we yeah. were we were in the same friend group, and right. it was like uh, you were you were like the only other person who was listening to music that I thought was interesting. Yeah, and, for but, sure. But even at the time, like music that I thought was interesting was stuff that was very like, um, uh, you know, stuff that you know, as a as an early teenager, I didn't realize that like indie doesn't necessarily mean indie right yeah you know no, for and sure we, we were in the same boat with that where it was like oh yeah nobody listens to mumford and sons uh, so weird so new yeah really don't or, they don't they play mumford and sons at like football games now like yeah there are mumford and sons songs that's like uh, yeah football yeah it's all it's similar to uh the white stripes where it's like wow this like super indie like blues rock in your face band and one of their songs is one of the probably the most recognizable riffs in the entire world at the moment seven nation army like yeah we were definitely in that camp of like oh look at us complete ignorance just because it wasn't because we were Def leopard or something yeah Yeah, it wasn't Def leopard it wasn't um you know at the time like flow rider lady gaga yeah we were like oh yeah you have to listen to that other radio station to listen to what we're listening to which by the way we were just up in seattle Mm -hmm. and like I've known of KEX, KEXP because of their live stuff, which right. is phenomenal. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Um, But I've never listened to KEXP. Mm. Well, then we were up in Seattle, right. and I was like, well, oh, let's just listen to KEXP. It's like, it's the 94.7, you know, that's our Portland local radio right. al- yeah. alternative rock station. And I was like, yeah, KEXP is just the 94.7 of Seattle. Yeah. That is not at all the case. No. KEXP plays a much wider variety of music. That's what I've noticed just based off of their live stream of like, oh, they they play what's good, not what fits into like a genre box. Yeah. Um, and it, it was like this like i i i feel so screwed over like i thought portland was supposed to be the hipster like i guess 
I guess that's actually in line with the idea of the identity of Portland being mm. the hipster capital of the right. world, where it's like, this isn't the indie capital of the world. This right. isn't the, the interesting art capital of the world. This is where everybody puts on a show right. and pretends to be uh, Something that's a deep not. thinker. And right. A, a, right. Well, I think that also kind of leads into this whole like Portland or not Portland, like Seattle sound is like Seattle is this own microcosm of music that is even farther beyond what portland does because portland and portland adjacent bands have put out some really good stuff you know there's the decemberists there's fits in the tantrums um oh geez uh, portugal the man you know a, a bunch of like very influential mm-hmm. stuff on that so i think portland gets a lot bigger name like when they hit they hit big right but seattle you go to seattle and you can listen to literally any style of music any genre of music you want and you're going to find a very thriving very important subculture down there which is i think something that uh portland and portland vicinity um, music scene just kind of doesn't really have you kind of got to fit into a, a box a little bit more right within portland um yeah speaking of seattle sound um probably the second wave of seattle sound happened in the 90s with grunge music grunge uh, music that was a thing yeah in seattle it's, wasn't it? yeah that that the Seattle Four is what they they called it. It was you know it was Nirvana, it was Soundgarden, it was Stone Temple Pilots, and mm-hmm. then the band that um, we were going to do the first album off of mm. um, is Pearl Jam's debut album uh, called Ten. Um, and let me pull up my notes super quick on Ten. Yeah, so Ten was released August twenty seventh in nineteen ninety one. It was Pearl Jam's debut album. Um, they was originally founded by Stone Gossard, who's the rhythm guitarist, uh, Mike McCready, who's the lead guitarist, and Jeff uh, Amet, who's the bassist. The three of them used to be in a other like locally famous, uh, slightly bigger but not as big of reach mm-hmm. uh, band called Mother Love Bone, um, and they were in that until they were lead. I'm terrified. Singer. <laughs> yeah, uh, their lead singer passed away um, in 1990. Uh, and then after Mother Love Bone, they got together with the lead singer of Stone Gar- uh, yeah, no Soundgarden, um, Chris Cornell, to create um, this what is retrospectively viewed as a supergroup, uh, Temple of the Dog, who released one album as a tribute album to um, Andrew Wood, who was um, Chris Cornell's um, roommate mm. at the time. Um, and so they pulled, you know, those three people from um, Mother Love Bone, Chris Cornell, and then Eddie Vedder's actual debut is on one of the Temple of Dog songs. Oh. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So uh, Eddie Vedder was actually down in, I believe, San Diego. Mm-hmm. At the time, um, Stone Gossard created a five-tape demo, sent it out to a bunch of people. Eddie Vedder got a hold of it, wrote lyrics for three of the songs, sent it back up to Stone in seattle he liked enough that they flew him up to seattle to audition for the band he became the the lead singer he was on uh that temple of dog album and then 10 by pearl jam happened uh jared yeah what let's start with this before we decided to pick this album mm-hmm. what was you, your history slash experience with pearl jam or just the grunge movement in general so my history with Pearl Jam specifically mm-hmm. is that Even Flow is on Guitar Hero 3, I believe. Yes, I believe that is correct. Um, and I can not 
hundred percent it, but I think I could get like ninety eight, ninety nine percent right, on, right on expert. Um, it was not one of my favorite songs to play. Okay, that's fair. It's not one of my favorite songs to listen to. Okay, okay. Uh, that statement can be expanded out to grunge, the subgenre as a whole. Mm, okay. Um, I I've there are specific songs within that subgenre that I find really enjoyable. Right. Um, Black Hole Sun is fucking phenomenal. Uh, there's a handful of Nirvana songs. Mm. None of it has ever been enough for me to be like, I should check out this album or I should check right. out more of this band. Um, Nirvana, I've probably listened to the most of yeah. the grunge movement. Uh, movement, would you call it a movement? Yeah, I would call it a, uh, the grunge scene, man. I don't know if it was a scene. Yeah, I feel like movement scene makes sense because the thing. I feel like movement implies that one, they had momentum. Right. No, that's fair. Uh, which, if they had any momentum, it wasn't much because they are not very far down from where they were. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think scene is a little more accurate because grunge. I think one of the things that um, growing up in the Northwest, you kind of have to at least try to appreciate music that came out of the Northwest. Like we have this very For tribal sure. cultural. Oh my! So we just on our way up to Seattle, passed through Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um the welcome sign welcome to aberdeen says come as you are oh of course along the bottom because that's the hometown of uh of uh nirvana man yeah kurt cobain yeah that one yeah well i I think grunge could never actually succeed as it wanted to because the whole idea of grunge was a complete rejection of 80s glam metal yeah no for sure and i appreciate that yeah and i i think part of it also is it was one of the last times that music labels got to decide what was popular Mm -hmm. whereas nowadays and in the late 90s it was more of you find your own music and people decide what's popular you know right and grunge was one of those things where the music labels decided it was popular but then everyone who was a grunge artist wanted to have absolutely no part in the capitalistic corporate machine that is popular (laughs) music industry yeah that is the music industry so I think it was always destined to be a a short-lived endeavor. A short-lived endeavor, yeah. And some of the bands that lived on the longest, I think that's some of the issues that some people have with Pearl Jam specifically. Kurt Cobain really hated Pearl Jam because he considered them to be intense sellouts. Well, I mean, it's funny that you say in the same breath that grunge... In the same breath? Not in the same breath. It's funny that you say mention rather that grunge is uh was sort of like a retort to uh the glam metal and hair metal of the 80s the the over the top production mm-hmm. the the ridiculousness and all of that while i have multiple times written on my notes for pearl jam 10 uh hair metal solo yeah i <laughs> in my notes i put down lots of love for the wah pedal lots of love for the wah and i and i do have lots of love for the wah pedal right um i don't have lots of love for a chorus pedal on a heavily distorted guitar right for um, sure although hair metal bands do love that and um yeah so let's get into based off some of the kind of reading some of the interviews that they've given throughout mm-hmm. the years and some of the stuff 
a lot of them are very big on yeah we really got into music by list like going and watching kiss and other big 70s rock bands interesting yeah and i think you can really tell that they were influenced by like early van halen kiss aerosmith um, yeah for sure ted nugent like all those big 70s rock bands of like yeah we're just here to be rock and fucking roll man right we're just going and doing it rock um, and fucking roll baby all right um and it's i'm gonna tear this off real quick yeah no you're good <laughs> fuck me okay uh, um and yeah it's it gets a little repetitive, I think, because of that. Because, for me at least, when you think mm. of 70s rock, it's it's a lot of, yeah, this is our sound, and we're going to do the sound in very minor, different ways. Right. It's very iterative, and it's very... Yeah, very derivative. <laughs> iterative and derivative. Exactly. Iterivative. So, yeah, so so tell me your overarching thoughts on, on 10. You you said so, you had some, some pretty spicy things to say about so this. So, my overall thoughts on, on 10... And see, here's the thing, is that when it comes to music in general, when it comes to any art in general, Mm -hmm. you can, uh, there are two ways to approach um, receiving it, observing it, becoming part of it, having an emotional, attachment, romantic, sexual experience with a piece of art. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As everyone does. As everyone does. Uh, The, you can approach it within the context of when it was created and why it was created. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are times where it's really important to do that. Right. I think that there are times where you literally cannot understand a piece of art without the context of its creation. Right. Um, and then there are times where you just got a bunch of white guys in their early twenties together playing music. Right. And, uh, in that case, the context, while changing my perception of it, mm-hmm. is not uh, vital to understanding the core concepts and the, the emotion behind the creation of right. the music. Right, for sure. Um, so, all that to say... I did not listen to Pearl Jam 10 within the context of it's 1991 and nobody's ever sang, sang like Eddie Vedder before. Yes, that, <laughs> that is fair. Yeah. Um, um, I do not like his voice. That's fair. Um, except on one track. There's one track and we'll get to it mm-hmm. where I was like, I actually really like his voice is perfect for this song and he should sing in this range with this inflection way more often. Right. Um, and, you know, I... I don't want to go on about his voice. He has a very distinctive voice, which is very cool, Mm -hmm. but it is also a voice that has been copied and copied and copied. Right. Um, And I grew up like as a child listening to surrounded by those copycats. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, it just feels, uh, it feels like a, a um, insincere, Mm. like unnecessary Mm -hmm. amount of power behind you know like it's it's just not my thing his his singing voice doesn't have the same gravitas behind it when it it first came out when you know there's been right dozens upon dozens of iterative same sounding lyricist singers in so many different ways yeah and that totally Um, makes sense and you know eddie vedder is a huge part of pearl jam 
Yes. You know, he's part, a huge part of the formula of Pearl Jam. Um, staying on the topic of Eddie Vedder. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Where did I write it down? While you're finding that, um, I think something that Eddie Vedder did that I, I think does deserve some credit in the time mm-hmm. is he did a really good job of using his voice as an instrument. And I think it's mixed in the album that way, especially during a lot of the choruses, they let his vocal. Um, yeah. I should specify yeah. that I'm talking about the timbre of his voice. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the inflections with which he sings. I'm talking about the, um, the um, emotive energy that he puts behind it. Right. In certain phrases. Um, I'm talking about the delivery of the notes not the notes themselves. Right. The notes themselves are actually, on the whole, pretty good. Like, there are a good... There's a lot of times throughout the album where I'm like, okay, we get it. You can sing this note. Right. And it's not, and it's not like a super impressive note, but it's just like you're uh, very um, monotone um, mm-hmm. melodies. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I think that... But he's a good singer. He is a good singer, of, of course, yeah. And I think that vocal style definitely let itself to some of the later um, subgenres that kind of came out of the 90s. I, I was able to pick a lot of kind of shoegaze out of the way that he uses his voice in the songs, mm-hmm. not his um, timbre, not his style, his delivery, but just the using vocal notes as part of the music. Right. Which is a big part of, of uh, shoegaze music is using every instrument as its own um harmony within the song including the voice so i right. i picked some of that out um as well and the guitar the guitar work in general i really liked um kind of in context you mm. know it's nothing new it's it's nothing interesting but kind of coming off of you know the late 90s kind of death of the glam metal no one really knowing what's happening right um, see that see that's where it feels like a bit disconnected for me okay is that where I can listen to an album by Nirvana and be like, yes, this was this was death of glam metal. Like mm. this was death of the eighties hairband. That was intense. Right. Like there was intention with that. This is like this is winding down from that to me. Okay. Um, definitely not with Eddie Vedder's vo- vocal delivery, but it just in terms of the production of the guitars, the tones that are cho- chosen. Mm-hmm. The wah pedal solos, the, right. the chorus on the on high gain sounds, you know, a cranked Marshall <laughs> with a chorus pedal, maybe a, a certain type of overdrive with yeah, a certain shade of green going into. I don't Who know knows? Um, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like those are staples yeah. of that genre that this this genre is supposed to be, you know, Against. An, an actual like a a solid juxtaposition of, mm, not juxtaposition right. um but you know it's counter reactive uh, yeah it's supposed move, to be yeah. reactive to mm-hmm. it's supposed to be like not against but right decidedly opposite of and i think that's something about i don't know if pearl jam outside of its lyrical content and its willingness to have more introspective songs whether or not they work mm-hmm. um Outside of those two things, I really don't think they're a grunge band, at least based right. off of this album. Because, um, yeah, if you take, like, Stone Temple Pilots and, and Soundgarden um, and Alice in Chains, they all kind of fall in this realm of it's still kind of metal it's still kind of hard rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing that really gives Ten a, a difficult time to stand out more than the rest 
um, is that it is just kind of, hey, what if the se- what if 70s guitar rock, you know, guitar hero style mm-hmm. bands were a thing again with a little more soul and introspective lyrics. With a little and, more sincerity to it. And a little it. darker in, a little, in general. A little yeah. less sex and drugs. Mm-hmm. A little more, uh, hey, sometimes I think about killing myself right. and also I play guitar. And, and also, <laughs> hey, here's the downside of using heroin. Right. Um, <clears throat> do you want to get... I meant like party drugs. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> Um, do you want to get into to some? Of, let's get into some of the songs. I think that'll give um, our opinions a little. I wanted to see one yeah. more thing no, you're while good, you're we good. were uh, on the topic of of Eddie Vedder specifically, mm-hmm. and uh, you brought up lyrics, um, lyrical content specifically, right? Um, and I will open up by saying that I am very harsh when it comes to lyrics. Yes. Um, I'm very meticulous in the way that I write songs. My uh-huh. songs go through many rewrites. They start out as a page's worth of prose, and then I pull from that, and I rework, and I rework, and I rework until it's perfect, and mm-hmm. then we play it ten times, and then I change lyrics again. <laughs> and so you have a little bit different view on, on lyrics than some other people do. And for sure. Um, Black was the song, uh, which is the fifth song? Fifth song down. Uh, my first note is, are all of his lyrics prose? Mm. Um, <laughs> because I that was the point where I noticed that he basically never rhymes. Right? Yeah he uh, um, he allows his vocal um, melody to do the rhyming rather than his lyrics do the rhyming. Right. So that's uh, that's a way of putting it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so. So yeah, he it's fine to sing in prose. Right. Um, I don't have a problem with that specifically or that by itself. It's an artistic decision. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue with it comes from, one, the lyrics themselves are not very interesting to me. They're very right. plain to me. Yes. Um, but I also love flower lyrics. Right. Um, just read any Spencer Krug lyrics and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> Somebody who gets regularly critiqued for being, for using too much allegory and too much imagery in his lyrics. You like it when people have to think about the lyrics. I like it. Yeah. I like it when on the surface, the lyrics are just pretty words that flow well together. And mm-hmm. then when you actually stop and think about what they mean, then you go, Oh fuck. Right. <laughs> And Eddie Vedder's not that. He's just like, hey, this is what is happening. There is no subtext to right. this. There's, there's yeah. no subtext to it. I mean, there's a little bit of research that can be done to uncover some some meaning that's maybe not super obvious. Right. Um, but once you know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's no other thing that this could, the song could be about. Right. Um, it's actually really funny you pulled out because I think Black is probably the best lyrics on the album. Uh... Like it's the most interesting <laughs> lyrics on the on the album because it is just kind of him walking through a breakup, um, and right. all of the different versions of that. And it, you know, it starts right. Black yeah. Black is the first sort of. Um, it's the ballad. Yeah, it's the first ballad. Right. Because there was because uh, release is a ballad too, right? Yes. The last song on the yeah, album. that's also a ballad. But this is the most classic. Like, hey, do you remember the seventies doing doing rock ballads? We'll we'll get to the song that song specifically at a certain, okay uh, in the future, but um. Uh, the other thing is that I, um, like, this is one of my pet peeves mm-hmm. in lyrics and in melodies, um, is that when, uh, um, I call it brute forcing lyrics. Okay. Uh, when you have a statement that you're trying to make, however many syllables, however many words, mm-hmm. wherever the emphasis is fall, emphases, 
mm-hmm. wherever the emphasis should fall in a given statement. Uh-huh. Um, and you just put it into the context of music without trying to make it a musical statement, mm, if that okay. makes sense. Right. Um, the lyrics are just kind of, you wrote them and then whether or not it, it fits. You wrote them and then you assigned notes to different parts of that statement, but that statement doesn't necessarily fit neatly into right. the place where I think lyrics should fit. Uh-huh. Again, this is just my opinion, and I'm brutal when it comes to lyrics Th- This is definitively subjective, yes. Yeah, this is definitive, <laughs> definitively subjective. Um, and uh, that's that's the thing that drives me crazy about Eddie Vedder's lyrics specifically is that they feel brute forced Mm. and they're all prose. Right. Like oftentimes like brute forcing comes up the most when people are like reaching for a rhyme or reaching to fill um, a certain syllable count so that it lines up rhythmically, Uh that sort of thing. Um, His feel very kind of stream of consciousness and wishy-washy in terms of where they line up. Um, And it feels it feels brute forced in that regard where um the statements that he's making don't necessarily fit into the context of the song right um and then on top of that he's not brute forcing them with any intent other than to put them there you right. know like he's not tr- he's not brute forcing them to get them to rhyme he's not brute forcing them to try and get them to fit rhythmically he's just these are the lyrics have fun have fun right um and you know i'm sure that there are i'm sure that there are people that that uh speaks to and i'm and again like in the context of when it was released i'm sure that was like an exciting thing right like it was like a beat poem or something mm-hmm. in the 60s where it's like oh shit this is like totally different from anything else i've listened to right um this is like this is an exciting new thing um, but for me as a lyricist, I went and I was looking up the lyrics to each of the songs as right. I was listening through them the last time, uh, when I was writing down my notes and, uh, yeah, I was just like my, my, for black specifically, what I wrote is, um, oh no, that's not the song. Never oh mind. no, you're good. That's not the song. Well, I think of. that's, I think this might sound bad, but the trick that Eddie Vedder plays with his lyrics, um, and again, this is, you know, debut album. I'm we're not versed in Pearl Jam's later works. Maybe he gets better as a lyricist. Who knows? Um, But I think the great trick that Eddie, Eddie Vedder is able to play is the song sounds more meaningful than the lyrics are. Uh, Yeah, I definitely could feel that. And I (laughs) will try to remember to bring that up for a specific song in the future. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, Um, Yeah. So, Actually, let me just write that down real quick. What did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's more powerful than what the lyrics are. Right. Yeah. Like, it, just the way that he delivers the vocals, like, if you don't really listen to the lyrics and you just follow along with the sincerity of his voice, I think also that's a large part of it. Like, you can f- sincerely feel like he really means what he's saying right now. Whether or not what he's saying is right. deep or impactful, and- you feel that within the musicality of his singing. Right. And that's something that I think bothered me the most with this album, um, is, uh, I've, I've also got, a uh, it really bothers me when, uh, things are not earned in a song. Mm. Um, and that could be something along the lines of like an extremely passionate vocal delivery 
that comes out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, where and there's a again we'll get to it in the future, but there's a specific song. Um, it's one of the ballads that sort of builds up without building up. Right. And it treats the end of the song as if it had built up to it. Okay, yeah. However, the energy of the song stayed the same for the entire five minutes. Right, yeah. Um, There was a lot of that feeling for me with Mm -hmm. this album where it was like, you know, I, I see what you're going for. You didn't earn it, though. Right. Like, you didn't put me in the emotional state to be ready to, like, feel viscerally what you're trying to convey. Yeah, you're, you're getting your you, and you're putting it out there. You're you're shouting what you're shouting and you are obviously feeling it, but you didn't get me into that spot. And right. so therefore, like, I don't want this right now. Yeah, <laughs> I think this was all written kind of within a few months time frame. It was recorded within a month. You know, they use some of the yeah, demo tracks. I, uh, I was perusing the, the Wikipedia article and it mm-hmm. said that uh, most of these songs were just instrumentals. Yeah, they started out as instrumentals written by the rest of the band, and then when Vetter joined, he just wrote lyrics over. Uh, it. We'll yeah. say threw lyrics together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on one of them, he specifically did on on Ocean. He wrote the lyrics while he was locked out of um, the band recording instrumentation. Um, it was rainy, and then he he wrote Ocean while he was locked out when mm. someone asked him to. So you're not wrong on, on some of that. Um, I think they knew what they wanted. The dynamic they I think they're big on dynamics. I think that's also something that's a little different than what people were used to in the eighties was mm, dynamic. You mean between the band members, like between the different parts of a song? Yeah, but between different parts of the song, between the band members, and also just the um, dynamics of the song in general of like it's starting slow, getting faster, really big, really small um, musicality. I see, see. I feel that's that's the thing is that I feel totally the opposite about this album. Well, I feel like that's I feel what... like every song has the same energy mm-hmm. through the whole thing, and the next song is going to be an iteration of that same energy. I think that's what they're going for, and whether or not they get there is, you know, I I think they're more successful than you do on it. But I think that's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do is that they're trying to have different feel within a song, even though all songs are kind of within the same, same tempo base kind of right. follow the same stuff. So let, well, let's, yeah, get, let's get go into, into actual song by song instead mm-hmm. of just alluding to different songs. Yeah. So once it starts with, uh, pulling an interlude from a, a secret track. Yeah. Which, uh, seems completely unnecessary to me. I wish they would have done more with it. I, the intro is the best part of that song to me. I'm just going to say that to start out with. Yeah. Um, I really liked that intro. Um, and I would like, I, yeah. You would like more of it? I mean, there's, there's the end after release, that Mm -hmm. nine minute track release ends. And then like 30 seconds later then yeah, that that's their their secret track that they ended on. Yeah. Um, that's super enjoyable to me. Mm. Um, and I wish that that was, I, I wish they just put that at the beginning of the album. I wish the album just started with this kick-ass instrumental track. My right. I was at work and uh, my boss actually was like, uh, he would be so mad if, <laughs> Pelka, if you're watching this, I'm sorry I called you my boss. <laughs> um, my boss was like, uh, yeah, uh, that's an eight-string bass. Because I was listening to this right. at work today, yeah. Um, and he said, "Yeah, that that's an eight-string bass. Uh, I think that there's, um, 
think that there's a chorus on it. I Probably. might be mixing up with a different track. But... That's fine. Yeah, we're going to get to it later. They, there's some really interesting bass work on this entire album. I think instrumental, instrumentally, the bass is probably the most um, fascinating aspect of it because it doesn't stay with just a four-string bass. You know, they, they have eight-string, they have fretless, they have a 12-string. Yeah, the fretless bass, when that pops in, I was like, ooh. Right, yeah. All right, So I, I think see you. that's the most um, interesting instrumentality um when it comes to the band so but yeah once i once it's just a very straightforward hey we're rock and roll and oh look at these lyrics they're pretty dark kind of some stuff we've talked about before mm-hmm. um a lot of wah just just so much wah we love wah we love wah we um, love wah in this house and then after once um even flow happens which for the most time that I'd listen to Evenflow, I'd listen to the version that is on Rearview Mirror, which is a compilation album mm-hmm. that they released in like 2003 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's a different version. Oh. Um, it's It feels like it's recorded live and there's a lot more energy to it. Mm. And so listening to the original studio version of it, um, it just feels a little flat in comparison to that for me. I really like the riff. Like, I really do. It's a good riff. It's a good-ass riff. It's one of the good songs in this album. Yeah. Um, there's some production stuff that I've never heard before because I've never listened that closely to this song. Right, of course. Um, there's some really fun stuff that they do swelling reverb on the vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you come back in, uh, first they end the first chorus and that first ee on the, yeah, on, yeah, the yeah. Ver- on that second verse. Um they just hit the reverb uh, just for the first syllable of that word. I don't remember what it is, but it's an E yeah, sound. for sure. And so that E sound hangs as he keeps going through the rest of the verse, and it's so stellar. Yeah, there's some really good production stuff on this, which is really interesting because the band hates the way this was mixed. Um, I would, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wonder if that's contributing a little bit to the um, monoton- monotonous feel of the entire album is the mixing was just a little too samey on, on all the albums. I wonder if that's part of it, you know? Yeah, that's, um, that could certainly be part of it. Yeah. And I think this song is a really good example of kind of what we were talking about with Eddie Vedder's lyrical style on this album before, you know, it's a song about the experience of being homeless. Right. Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, some of the stuff you're saying here is okay. Like, specifically yeah, the one that... Yeah, see, that I, yeah. I have written down on another song somewhere where it's like the... Uh, some of the lyrical content, as in the subject matter mm-hmm. of these songs, is very serious stuff. Right. Very intense stuff where there is a lot of intense emotion to be sorted through. Right. Um, and then, t- like, to in my opinion, write such underwhelming lyrics. Mm. Like, it's cool at the, like, again, in the context. Right. I'm sure that there were not very many bands that were writing music that this that was this um, lyrically intense. Right. Let's say. Or even subject matter intense. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I mean, is, mm-hmm. is that songs about such intense subject matters and written so bluntly. Um, right. But for me, it's so underwhelming. Um, it's, it's so, it's such between between the plain speaking and the brute forcing it's it's not uh poetic lyricism to me mm. it's 
uh it's just here's a bunch of flat statements about a very serious subject right and i'm like if you're gonna write about the subject i'm like write about the subject dude right i i wonder if part of it is just people you know this was 1991 1990 homelessness was not as well understood oh yeah for sure at the same time so i wonder if part of it is just like hey this is the experience of a dude that I know who is homeless and that I've met and all of it. Like, this is just what happens to him and you just got to be okay with that. So right. I, I understand it would be better if there was some more intricate lyricism in it and more than just kind of plain statements. Like right. one of the, one of the plain statements is just, Oh, praying now to something that's never shown him anything of, of like, well, when you break it down, it's talking about, yeah, He's he's homeless and he's praying to God to do something for him or anything to do something for him, even though that's never worked for him in, in his past life. Right. And it's like, I mean, there there could be more there, but also dude, it's, just, it's, it's like a little... just a verse devoted to the way a houseless person is perceived by the general public. Right. Like, like just a single verse about that one aspect of being houseless Mm -hmm. like that's the that's the sort of thing that i'm like dude if somebody like uh uh, commissioned me to write whatever a a single stanza (laughs) about that i would put so much effort into that and i would i would i would pack every word of that with as much meaning and as much power as i could because that's such an intense thing that people experience on a regular basis right and that's such an awful thing that people experience on a regular basis just the way people who don't understand interact with those people yeah no for sure i think there definitely could be better lyricism within it but i think for the context of kind of banging a song out with lyrics about a a serious subject matter and that's the thing is that in context i totally get why this album works i get why that song specifically works Mm -hmm. lyrically yeah uh but i just i prefer to approach music out of context for sure just on its own merits right as as you came to it rather than as it um was presented at the time right no i totally understand that and i think again even flow though like moving away from the lyrics i think that's probably the most just like you had your musical idea you did it and you um pulled it off the best you did on this album Mm -hmm. like they're like yeah this is going to rock it's going to be in your face it's going to be just a good ass like a little bit of a punky rock song with a very good bluesy solo Mm -hmm. at the end of it and the end of the song um mike mccready just goes ham just goes Mm -hmm. off on the solo and it's just like yeah dude it's really good it's a really good solo the riff is great too yeah The the main riff is i like i've never looked up how to play it but i might now yeah it's it's that palm the palm muting during the verses is what gets me every yeah, time it's very good yeah and the, i love a good um, palm muted riff and talking again about the bass like the um bass slide after the uh riff starts going into the first verse mm, yeah that's good yeah that's, that's good that's, that's good shit those, right uh, there that's one of those little things that's like it's very simple but it's it just adds that little bit to every... It, it makes you feel like, oh, we're we're going into something now. Like, right. Get ready for this. Um, I do not like the backing vocals on the chorus. Yeah, that's okay. Um, it's they're, fine. they're mixed yeah. pretty quiet, though, so it's not a huge deal. But I, that, this last time through when mm-hmm. I was taking my notes, I was listening with headphones. So that was the first time I like really heard them. And right. I was like... Oh, these are not my harmonies, dude. Right. This is not what I would be singing. And I think the chorus on it in general is, it's good for what it is, but it kind of shows the, 
they had the verse down for sure, and they needed to figure out what the chorus kind of needed to be after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a little weak, like not not in a bad way. I think it fits because Vetter's um, lyrical delivery takes so much of that chorus and the way it's mixed. It's right. just so present. It, it makes sense to then have the instruments kind of support and that. see that's that's actually a thing you know the songs are mixed differently on guitar hero uh-huh yeah and the guitar parts are louder they are very loud <laughs> uh i i would almost venture to say that i would prefer the guitar hero mix i mean for the chorus probably not least. wrong <laughs> but um, um let's move on yeah um yeah and so alive which is probably i would say the song off the well no jeremy's probably the song off the album but um what do you mean by the song? Off the, the, the big single, the big one that everyone knows. Right. Um, but it's between Alive and, and Jeremy. Like it is, it's the, it right. is the one everyone knows. Um, my, my notes consist of this. Uh-huh. Weakest song. Mm. Fucking chorus pedals, man. And solo is best part. Uh, those, that's all I had written down for this song. I, yeah, like, I didn't even, and, and I didn't, I knew that Even Flow was a single. I didn't know any other songs from this album. I've never mm. heard any other songs from this album. Or right. if I have, they have not stuck in my mind. For sure. That makes sense. Alive, I think, is the song that I most associate Pearl Jam with. So it's the one I was the, kind of the most used to. And I believe Alive was on... It was either on a guitar hero or a rock band. You know, there it was one of those. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how I was probably first introduced to it. I think this is the most, like, stereotypical when people think of people trying to pull like make fun of grunge music mm-hmm. it, this is the most stereotypical kind of by the numbers of like yeah it's fast and it's slow and it's heavy and it's it's light um i don't know i i like it i like it a lot more than you do um i don't think it's i don't think it's one of the better songs off the album i think it's definitely one of the more listenable songs off the album in mm-hmm. kind of a broad context way of looking at it um yeah, that solo at the end is just. Yeah, Mike McCready, man, he's he definitely one of the the high points of this band for sure. Um, there there are a few times where he gets a a, a little too flashy for me. That's fair. Um, not necessarily like he's going super virtuoso, like you know, oh, we get it, you're a guitar god. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. You know, there are just a few times where I'm like, it's the same thing of like, you haven't earned this, dude. Right. No, <laughs> you know, 100%. like you, you, this song is not ready to go this hard yet. You have not built to this point. Mm-hmm. Stop pretending that the the energy is here. Right. You, you brought the energy rather than allowing the energy to get there. Right. Um, but yeah, I think the song wants to be more than it is, especially with his lyrics about it being, you know, this kid who finds out that his dad is not his actual dad his actual dad died you know a few years ago right and now his mom's trying to fuck him yeah (laughs) that part's a little weird and we're gonna get to more just like i see what you're going with there but maybe you missed the mark eddie uh with some lyrics later um in the album Mm -hmm. i think some of the i i looked up kind of the um what the chords are on this song specifically Mm -hmm. later because the movement from the slow bits to the chorus right before it goes to the solo where it's like is there something wrong well of course there is you're still alive is probably the most musically interesting Mm -hmm. um just in general outside of the solo 
and it's it's kind of interesting you know it, it, it that that's a very cool thing actually to have that line up with the lyrics yeah where it's like that's uh they interplay well yeah mm-hmm. it's a i mean lyrically if i remember right that's literally a change in perspective from the from the previous line to that line yeah i, I think that the perspective change does go from um the son to the mother in that which apparently Vetter said that this song and then the um, starting song are within a lyrical um, trilogy with another song that didn't make the album. So, yeah, it goes, is there something wrong, she said, and then narrator, of course there is, and then quotations, you're still alive, she said. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Maybe I might have, I have a feeling that the last place I looked up the lyrics for had them notated differently. Mm. Mm. Because I I feel like, of course, there is, You're Still Alive was... uh, Notated in a different way. Yeah, I feel like that whole phrase was in quotations. This is this is definitely notated differently right yeah and then the whole is is that the question then if so who answers Mm -hmm. is also a very interesting kind of take on like the entire thrust of the lyrical content of the song and i think it is definitely the the lyrical high point of the song but yeah i think it's kind it just feels too long I i think is a big part like it wants to build to something and it eventually gets there but it doesn't spend the three minutes or whatever it takes to get to the last two minutes Mm -hmm. building well um i think but it does show a little bit this is the first time it's showing that hey this album is not all just going to be heavy rock rock and roll music in your face stuff there's going to be a little bit more uh, variety within even the instrumentation you know it's the first time there's um acoustic in the mix there's some piano in the mix yeah that was I don't know about the instrumentation on this out on this song. Mm. Like, to be honest, I like, um, there's another track with piano on it that I have a very different feel, different opinion on. Mm. But for this one, I was like, uh, why, you know, I, I don't know. I was just confused by the instrumentation. Right. Um, like, I feel like it was too, like it should have either been, softer more focus on the acoustic guitar and the piano and then building into okay now like we've ramped up to a point where we can have a solo right or something like that and i think part versus of it is that that was like this is just a slightly lower energy pearl mm-hmm. jam song with an acoustic guitar right and i think part of that is it starts off with a pretty in your face guitar riff as well mm-hmm. so it starts there and then it tries to pull it back and i don't think they pull it back well yeah either so i think it just ends up in this weird halfway point where it's like okay we get it like it's a ballad kind of but not really but not really yeah no for sure and i think this song i can imagine being fantastic live and i think that's where a lot of its legacy comes from Mm -hmm. and i think from what i was able to read up on that's kind of pearl jam in general is a lot of their legacy is based off of their ability to perform a live show Mm. so i can i can see the song which i can respect i can i can see the song being good live um why go um I wrote down first interesting song. Okay. Um, you want to talk talk about why you find that found it interesting? Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> uh, it's also got chorus on the bass, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I uh, I I love the experimentation right. of that of that caliber mm-hmm. of that caliber. 
like putting a chorus pedal on it right. like some high some high it's, upper it's, echelon of experimentation and music please and they, production. Call it, they call it high art um here's the th- so it's the first interesting song and i say that because like even flow is uh i need to stop turning away from the mic uh, I say it's the first interesting song because I didn't count Even Flow because I mm. Even Flow was the only Pearl Jam song that I know is a Pearl Jam song right. and the only song that I knew from this album, um, and so it like didn't quite count when I was listening through this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the issue though. It is Even Flow. Yes, just you're not, without you're the chorus. Wrong. You're not wrong. Um, uh, that you can literally just like same key sing the verses of even flow over the top of this song. It's, right. It's fun. It's got that like kind of more up tempo, um, kind of energy more, uh, um, not sporadic, but kind of, uh, intensity, chunk- chunkier mm-hmm. riffs, kind of more, uh, staccato stuff going on, which is what I find more interesting on this album is when they're not just, droning chords not right. not that they drone chords i know what you're saying you know what i mean it, when it gets a little more in your face riffy yeah then it um just big bombastic wall of sound yeah the drums are fun in this song yeah um, for sure but yeah it it's it's even flow <laughs> yeah and i think it another way it's even flow is that you know lyrically it's talking about someone who is forced into a psychiatric hospital against right. their will and again, same with Even Flow. It's like, that's really interesting. You have some interesting... You have such a deep well to pull from yeah. <laughs> the lyrical content, and yet you're just going to make plain statements that don't really say anything. Which... Okay, you know, that's fine, I guess. 30 years ago, maybe this was deep, but it's in 2021, it's not as deep as... Not, not for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a fun song. Um, Black, we already kind of hit on a little bit. The, the rock and roll ballad, I think it's a much better ballad than Alive is. Uh... Yeah, uh, I feel like there was a lot more potential for that song to be really good mm, versus okay. Alive, right. um, and that was mainly on the production side. I don't think that the song itself ha- is very weak. I think that the song itself um, is solid. Right. I think that if the production, what did I put here? Um, if there was more of a piano focus... Mm, okay um and if there was more dynamic energy in the song okay because it's another one that um if i remember right that's the one that has yeah it's got like this repeating um motif at the end yeah um that sort of it gives it like an anthemic feel yes for sure for sure um and that's super unearned to me <laughs> no i because like, the whole song is this one level of energy for the entire thing and then surprise at the end mm-hmm. it, here's this anthemic like you should be singing along this uh this wordless motif along with eddie vedder and feeling like you're getting like Something. you're producing some level of emotion yeah and it's like bro i didn't you I did not reach that, that level yeah. yeah i was not on that journey i was sitting on my couch and it felt like this song was sitting on the couch next to me the whole time. <laughs> right. No, for sure. Um, I think it's probably one of the more effective songs, though, on the album. Of Even though you, you said you had problems going along with its dynamics and feeling like it earned the I definitely, end of it. I prefer it to Alive, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's a... I think it 
has really good bones and could be if it was produced a little differently a really good track right no i, t- I totally understand that um i think maybe just in comparison to the rest of the album i liked it a lot um i think it's definitely one of the the top songs yeah. off the album for sure um and then the next one jeremy right jeremy yep okay so this song um i just wrote good period i don't like it that much i don't either <laughs> i mean like i i don't think it's one of the worst songs on the album um I, I put it i put it down in my category of bad songs for the album um i just wrote good and i and this was probably at the point where i was starting to get fatigued <laughs> that's very fair that's very fair. that was that was i mean this is halfway through the album so i, I think this was just the point where i was like this one sounds like another pearl jam song right i don't hate this one good <laughs> yeah i this is the one i think that has the 12 string bass in the intro mm. and then they just kind of don't capitalize on the fact that they have a 12 string bass for the rest of the song yeah like for it, sure i i think this is probably the song that has the most amount of wasted potential you say that my only other note on this song is how do you write lyrics this forgettable about someone killing himself in front of his classmates yeah that's fair that's like yeah and it's like and i hate to harp on that and and like i know that specifically his lyrics are like a huge deal for a lot of people just not my cup of tea right no for sure and i i think it's it's fair though like it's a pretty it's a pretty constant critique of of all the songs and yeah i just wish i think this is again trying to be a ballad but it doesn't really earn being a ballad because it's a little too up tempo Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really go up or down like alive not yeah. a great ballad but like at least it has a little more movement See, to it it's really strange for me to have high gain tones on anything besides like straightforward rock and roll right you know what i mean and i feel like that's something that kind of detracts from a handful of songs in this album mm. where it's like this guitar tone just doesn't fit the what they're going for i feel like right you know it doesn't fit the um doesn't fit the vibe that they want that song to to the put vibe. out yeah no but i yeah no jeremy's one of those things where it's like it's i think it's more popular because it had a controversial music video than than anything else was there titties in it no it was there was you know it was a, about a teenager killing himself in school mm. so you know that makes more sense yeah yeah <laughs> 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 probably more controversial yeah understandably controversial um oceans is next uh oceans i wrote one of the best songs really uh but it's under three minutes yeah i that's the note i wrote down for oceans was seems like you're kind of running out of ideas here we have such opposing opinions (laughs) on so many things i like again i was fatigued at this point right and like I was just like this really all of these sound the same and I was gonna latch on to anything that didn't sound exactly like everything else that had come before it. For sure. Um and yeah, Oceans, I mean, see, and the thing is I'd never listened to this album before today. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have more time to prepare for this, but oh, for I sure. didn't there You're okay. Yeah. Um so I can't even specifically like recall what it sounds like right now. Uh and we are not set up to do the thing. <laughs> right. Um, but it, it, I, apparently 
listening through this album front to back, I got to this one when I was when I had my headphones on and I was like, this is a nice reprieve from the last five songs. Right. No, and that's fair. But I think for me, the reason I, I had a little bit less positive things to say about Oceans where it was like, yeah, you're trying something new, but you're also still doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why it was why I wrote down you know, it's, it's, you're kind of running out of ideas. It's like, even when you try something new, you still write right. the same song. So, but I get where you're coming from with it's, it's one of the more, it's a better reprieve. I think it's placed really well within the album as well. I think track listing wise, they did a really good job of putting it where they did. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't, it wasn't different enough for me, I guess. That's, that's kind of what it is. It's like, you're different, this but not is, really. This is also the song where I made the note, all of the lyrics feel brute force and yet they're prose. Yeah. With a question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Right. No, for sure. Um, moving on with Porch, uh, their most punk song, like it's just kind of a punk rock song. All I wrote is good. Solo is great. Yeah. Yeah. Solo is great. Um, the, the breakdown for the solo where they slow everything down and just let him go. While we were listening through this at work, I remember definitely enjoying the last half of the album more. Like, it was a lot easier to, like, we were mudding, we were putting up joint compound on the walls. Right. So it wasn't, like, uh, it was fairly monotonous work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so in that, listening in that context, uh, it wasn't as much of a slog to get through the album. Yeah. Um, and, and so I remember like be getting to the last half of the album, we listened through it like two or three times, I think, mm-hmm. um, getting to the last half of the album and being like, okay, this is definitely where the good tracks are. Right. Um, yeah, yeah no, all I, I have written down for porch is good. Solo is great. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think again, it's something that he's trying to kind of, um, take on a lyrical content of like kind of the disappearing lower, lower class middle suburbanite that doesn't have mobility upwards or downwards. Mm -hmm. And the lyrics are just kind of, they kind of hit on it, but not really. I, I, you know, kind of the same thing of what we always were saying. Um, Like it's almost there. It's almost there. Almost there. Um, Garden. (laughs) I I don't really, I, I, I'll let you go. I'll let you go on this. I don't really have anything I don't really don't. This is what I have it. written down for. This is what I have written down for. I'm moving the pop filter so I can get right up on the mic. Oh yeah. This is what I have written down for Garden. Anyone who seriously listens to this song is a white man with a <laughs> goatee in the year of our Lord 2021. Oh god. He's listening in his white lifted truck. Oh god. He has a "Don't Tread on Me" sticker on the bumper. Uh. He does not tip. And he thinks that the lyrics are about the persecution of the white man. <laughs> that is my opinion of this song. All right. And so the next, so, do you have, do you want to expand on any of that at all? Or I think that that's all that needs to be said about this song. I, I literally, that song came on. I looked up the lyrics and I was like, holy fucking shit. This is the kind of stuff that like fucking proud boys listen to and they're like yeah man i'm persecuted for my christian faith i'm persecuted for my pale skin i'm persecuted for my big big truck and my big big guns and my big big cock it's like dude no you're just stop yeah no that yeah um deep um i like best track best yeah it's it's really good it's most bluesy it's most blues rock on the track for sure Mm mm-hmm 
Um, I feel like this is... I really enjoy the drums. Yeah, drums are really good. Just really good use of guitar as well. The bass... The tone, so, the yeah. guitar tones are really good. Mm-hmm. The, bass is, the bass is good. Yeah. I Yeah, it's... it's... This was also the song. I, I have the note here. <laughs> this was the song that I was like, I like Eddie Vedder in this song. Right, okay. He yeah. should sing like this more oh. often. I think this is also the song that maybe it's because um, blues rock had such a revival within mm-hmm. the past like decade or so, but it's like, this is the most modern sounding track on the album. I think probably. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the one that I listened to. I'm like, yeah, this doesn't sound like it's, it's 1990s. You know, it feels like it could come out within the last decade um, or even now and be like pretty modern for the most part. And which I think is the fact that it leans so heavily into blues rock mm-hmm. out of it. So um, just a fun jam just a fun jam it was fun yeah um Uh, release yeah it's a it's a song that then has a hidden track at the end of it um release dash i forgot i was listening yeah again it just kind of falls into the monotony of it's pearl jam and it's uh, this album is just kind of all the same it's another song on 10 by pearl jam yeah so yeah so that's uh that's 10. Here's some contemporary reviews that were given of 10 at the time okay. uh, from Rolling Stones. It got four out of five stars. The poll quote that I took from it was, uh, it rings a lot of drama out of a few decorative, uh, declarative power chords swimming in echo. Uh, Kerrang, the poll quote that I took from there, because Kerrang didn't have a rating system at the time. Uh-huh. Um, 10 is a moody, evocative album, introspective and charged with a quiet emotional force that is more subtle and perhaps richer than, um, other love bones, starstruck flashiness. Cause it was in comparison to right. the last, um, and then the most, um, negative big review of it that I got was from entertainment weekly. Surprisingly, <laughs> uh, they gave it a B minus. Okay. Mountain high guitar riffing that tips its Northwestern hat to Led Zeppelin Mi- misty elliptic. Do you want me to read it? <laughs> no, that's what it says. Okay. Misty elliptical lyrics that only hint at the their subject matter. The primordial wall of wah-wah guitar and the um, laborious, drudgy ambiance of a young hippie commune. More often, more often, they lose themselves in a sound that only goes to show that just about anything could be harnessed and packaged. Holy shit. I, like diametrically oppose every statement that was made in that review (laughs) oh my god uh yeah what let you get led zeppelin out of this do you just not listen to distorted guitars ever entertainment weekly what was what was the thing uh uh just before just after the thing about the hippie commune or what um lyrics that only hint at their subject matter right lyrics that only hint at their subject matter a primordial wail of the wah-wah guitar subtext subtext is just a word to these people right uh in a luxurious um luxurious drudgy ambiance of a young hippie commune laborious is right yeah but i think that kind of laborious to get through this album and i think that just kind of shows at the time people were, were either like wow this is a this is brand new and interesting and or people are just like i don't know man it's a lot of it's a lot of hippies in the northwest doing stuff that they <laughs> think's better than what it is brutal um so um, modern takes um 
considered one of the most influential grunge albums of all time, uh, one of the most influential rock albums of all time. Kerrang! in 2000... True statement. Yes. Um, Kerrang! said arguably the greatest rock debut of all time. I would argue that point and it's vehemently. In, yeah, and it's in almost every single top however many albums of all time list by almost every single right. respected publication of all time. Right. I think Rolling Stone rated it as the 219th out of 500. Okay. So, but everyone else, like it's in top hundreds, it's in top two hundreds, you know, it's, it's albums you have to listen to before you die. You know, it's in all of those lists. Right. So let well, I guess us... I can die now. Yeah, I guess you can die now. Uh, let's get to our rating system. It's if a... I can explain it. Yes, love please explain, explain it. our rating system. To the <clears throat> okay, so our goal is to make a continuous, unending list of ranked albums. Um, that is, uh, on the face of it, a very difficult thing to do. So the rating system that we've decided on um, is that we take the number of albums that are already in the list add one, and then the album that we are reviewing gets a score out of that number. Um, and <laughs> and then that that is the rank that it will receive in, in the tier list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, I guess it's not really a tiered list. It's just a list. The list. The list. Yes. The, the endless tape that we are making. Exactly. Um, and since this is the first album that we have reviewed... Uh, there are zero albums in the list. Mm-hmm. We add one to that, so we can give Pearl Jam's ten a score out of one, whole integers only. <laughs> All right. So, um, if we're rating ten, I'm um, going to give a... it the lowest score I possibly can. Okay. Yeah. No. Tell us what that that score is then. Uh, it is a one out of one. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to be a little more fair. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go with the highest possible score. We can give it, but I'm definitely going to give it the most middling score we can give it, which mm-hmm. is a uh, one out of one. Oh, you know what? You're right. I'm changing mine. <laughs> I, I agree. Middling. Yeah. I'm going to give it a one out of one. All right. So the list so far, 10 is both the top, the middle, and the bottom album on our list. <laughs> Congratulations, Pearl Jam. Congrats. I don't. No one else will ever accomplish that. Just like no one else will accomplish what you did on 10. Yeah. Um, consider this the highest and the, the, the simultaneously highest and lowest accolade you will ever receive. We'll, we'll be in contact with your people. Um, let's move on. Yeah. Let, let's take a quick break and then we'll move on to our second album. Let's do that. Uh, here's a word from our sponsor. We are back and we're going on to the next album. Jared, please introduce this album to us. Uh, we are going to be reviewing Boarding House Reach by Jack White. The third. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, came out uh, March 23rd, 2018. Um, this is the people who were on the album. It was Jack White. Jack White. And then 24 different session musicians. <laughs> across that sounds correct the um album also a fun fact the same guy who mastered boarding house reach uh bob ludwig is the same guy who did the masters of 10 wow yeah what a coincidence what a coincidence um it was recorded in three different places uh third man studios in nashville um sears sound in new york city and then capitol studios in la mm-hmm. um 
started off as Jack White just going into a room by himself with a tape-to-tape recorder, writing down the melodies of the songs that he wanted, and then figuring out what instrumentations can make those melodies happen and which session musicians are. Yeah, in which... And so a lot of the stuff that he started writing was like, well, this is going to be a lot of R&B stuff, a lot of jazz fusion, a lot of funk, a lot of hip-hop. Okay, I don't want to do samples. So who are the live musicians for the, you know, like Kanye, Jay-Z, all those people who have to recreate those samples live? Mm -hmm. And who? how can I work with those people? So that's kind of why it's such a wide variety of session musicians within it. So it's all people who have done like live acts live bands of people who are mostly within r&b and and hip-hop some of the biggest names so um to start out with i'd like to point out how drastically different just production wise we're talking from 10 by pearl jam oh a hundred percent and also (laughs) from completely the opposite direction track to track it Uh is so drastically different yeah sound in production in in energy it's so dynamic and i I love this album and also this is just such a wild abandonment of everything jack white has preached and held dear as his production style as well you know this is the guy holding on to analog production with with a closed fist as this sinks as the ship's sinking you know right like he he's the band on the Titanic still playing as, as it's sinking. He's like, no, we're, we're, we're still good. We're still good guys. Um, and yeah, he, this is the first album that with his name specifically attached to it, you know, he's done production of some other bands that may have been mostly digital, but this is the first time it's, it's him dumping everything into pro tools and, and doing a bunch of editing and mixing and mastering in pro tools. And it's brilliant. It's, it's done so well. Yeah. Um, I, like, listening through this album and thinking about how we were going to review it, it kept, like, my brain kept going to how, like, this is what happens when you have somebody who's so good at his craft, and I don't just mean performance and songwriting, mm-hmm. I mean production, um, with a uh, basically limitless set of tools available to him because of because of where he's positioned himself in the music industry because mm-hmm. of the connections that he's made because of the uh cachet that he has yeah because of the because of the uh massive amounts of gear that he's hoarded over the course <laughs> of his life and right. that he's now opened a studio and and a and a uh, record label and a record production plant mm-hmm. and like all of this stuff that he's uh that he's kind of built towards and I feel like Boarding House Reach is the most Jack White, like, oddly enough, I feel like Boarding House Reach is the most Jack White album there is. It makes sense that as soon as Jack White was like, you know, we just need to, he called it a maximalist approach to the production of the songs, Mm -hmm. because that's just how he was able, like, that's what needed to happen to get the songs to sound like he wanted to. Mm Mm-hmm. The minute he was like, no, we're not doing minimalist production anymore. We're going maximalist. It makes sense that this is the the album that would come out from it. Mm -hmm. It it makes the most amount of sense for sure. And apparently I was reading in an interview with him as he was promoting the tour that he would go in and he would have three days with these musicians that he's never played with before. And he would just kind of jam with them Mm -hmm. and just see what happened. He's like, this is what I want to have happen, but let's just... Let's just go and see what happens. And that's why the all the songs 
all the songs themselves have so many different aspects to them and so many different feels as well. Um, especially because he said um, in an interview that he had to cut some of the songs down and some of the best stuff that he felt that they had, they had to get rid of, but like that's what the song needed. And that was really hard for him um, to do was to cut, you know, these long jam sessions that they had down from like 11 minutes to like five minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, but Sorry, I'm just pulling up the track. List yeah, no, you're totally fine. Um, it's just such a, it's such a departure from anything he has attached his name to, um, artistic wise. Right. Before, like just completely left field. Every single song feels like it's been pulled from just some weird back space of his mind Mm -hmm. of like, well, if I ever did a hip hop song, it would sound like this. Well, Mm -hmm. if I ever did an R and B song, it would sound like this. And he just threw it all together. Right. Um, I will say that this is, uh, of his solo albums, I think that this is hands down his best. Mm. Um, I'm sure that we'll get to his other solo albums eventually. Eventually. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is the one that's like front to back. I'm like, I, this is all good. There are some low points, Mm -hmm. which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but I like thoroughly enjoy this album. I think the thing with this album is it doesn't try to be an evolution of the white stripes, which is what I think the first two solo albums of Jack White were, was, Hey, what does the white stripe sounds do with that, with, you know, a a bigger band, a little more skilled um, musicians, you know? Um, I can kind of see that. I've never really thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like, I haven't spent much time listening to his solo stuff because it was like his solo stuff came out. I mean, his first solo album, uh, was it Blunderbuss was the first one? I think so. Yeah. And that was like 2012. Yeah. I was still in high school, still listening to the White Stripes, <laughs> right. still learning White Stripes riffs, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, you didn't have time for new music. You had the White Stripes. Well, no, it was like it came out and it was like, okay, I like 16 Saltines. Like, that's the only good song on this album. Everything right. else is just like a dumb, stupid ballad, you know? <laughs> like, How I, dare you? Uh, yeah. That. Um, well, for me, I'll, I'll talk about when Boarding House Reach came out. I wasn't a big fan of Boarding House Reach when it first came out. Um, really? A large part of the reason why is there was just stuff going on in my personal life that I felt like I needed a little more uh, connection to a familiar. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, Jack White's new album's coming out. Perfect. I love Lazaretto. Love, you know, all the stuff he's in. It came out like three years after the Dead Weather came out with their new album, and that was also great. Well, um, <laughs> well it... Uh, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about Dodge and Burn, right? Dodge and Burn, yeah, yeah. It's like I, Dodge and Burn is half good to me. We'll we'll get there eventually. Um, but it was like I was just kind of looking for something a little more familiar, a little more n- normal, what I would expect from a, a Jack White album, and that came out, and it was just I appreciated what it was trying to do, but it just wasn't for me at the time. And I think he didn't pull off, and I still think some of this is I don't think he pulled off what he was going for. Well, if he was trying to be sincere about some of it, but coming back to it specifically with some of the lyrics, I could if he's being a little more... Um, he's being pretty tongue-in-cheek with a lot of stuff. Right, and I think um, I didn't realize that at first. Right. 
um, there like a good portion of the lyrics of this album are um, uh, facetious, very facetious, you know? yeah. Um, which I very much enjoy. Um, but I, I wonder if he, if that was on purpose or that accidentally happened because some of the stuff that he. Jack White interviews are always like you can only take so much from it because he also hates the media. Mm-hmm. But because Jack White himself is also very facetious. Yes, exactly. Because he's also half serious as, as well as a person, and he's crafted this persona, you right. know, in, in so many different ways. And you don't know if that's actually who he is or if he's just doing this so people stop asking him questions, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but like with Corporation, um, such a good track. It's a great track, but lyrically. You know, at the time, he was talking about how, yeah, I just wrote this because I was like, you know, people like Donald Trump. It's like they thought about starting corporations, and that's not a thing anyone, any normal person thinks about. And if they start, if they think about starting a business, it's a business. It's a corner store. It's a, a small mom and pop shop. I'm thinking about starting a corporation. Like no, I'm thinking about starting a multi, multi-billion dollar enterprise. Yeah. yeah like no. no one thinks about that. And it's like, okay, but are you saying like, you're doing this kind of tongue-in-cheek or as a uh, commentary on those people. Because if you're doing it as a commentary on these people, it's not very... It's not good it, critical it, commentary. It's it's definitely, like, um, it comes across more as making fun of mm-hmm. without critiquing. Right. If that makes sense. And, and um, I th- which I, th- I think is super enjoyable. Mm. It's definitely, like, you could definitely do a lot more with that. Right. And um, I think that was also something for me at the time where it was... It feels like you're trying to go at these people a little bit, but you're not doing it well. Like, I, I think... Th- I feel like that's just Facebook. What do you mean? <laughs> I, just, I feel like that's just political discourse on Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. No, that's... That's, not, that's just political discourse on the internet. You're not wrong. But I think as with someone with the musical gravitas as Jack White, who's never really had... His musical gravitas is not his lyrical composition, for the most part. No, although we will get to some lyrics in a little bit. Right. No, for um, sure. Um, but I think specifically in like corporation, a little bit in um, everything you've ever learned, um, specifically those two songs, it's just like, I can't tell if you're trying to half, half serious, half joke this, make it a critique. Right. Or if this is like, I just feel like the lyrics on those hit miss the mark, which is okay because we talked about it in ten lyrics kind well, of missing the mark a little bit more, and we were a little more critical because the lyrical composition in ten made was much more a part of the the songs. Whereas we're with also 40, talking about a drastically different style of lyricism, right? On both of sure. the songs that you just mentioned, uh, the lyrics are extremely repetitive mm-hmm. and uh, decidedly simple, um, where. Where Eddie Vedder's lyrics come across, they came across to me feeling like he had things that he wanted to say, um, and he didn't have the word, like, how do I explain this without sounding fucking pretentious? (laughs) Well, this is, we've already had like an hour of you sounding pretentious about Pearl Jam, so it's like 15 more seconds. No, but uh, I, I know what you're saying is that Eddie Vedder was like trying to be a little more intentional with his lyrics and it kind of misses the mark, whereas Jack White doesn't treat his lyrics as Right. I mean, you can't look precious. at a song where the lyrics are, welcome to everything you've ever learned sponsored by 
welcome to everything you've ever learned brought to you by right and those are all of the lyrics right and and think that that's i mean i feel like comparing that to like i know what i'm trying to say i feel like the reach is not exceeding the grasp mm. in that content and mm. with with that song with that kind with that uh, approach to those lyrics versus on 10 with Eddie Vedder where it's like his he's desperately trying to reach something that he is not able to put into words right it feels like I mean maybe desperately I'm being so dramatic, I know what you're saying but I, I understand what you're saying is for you Eddie Vedder is trying to get to a place and you just feel like he doesn't get there well whereas Jack White's lyrics in this album are like they're there, man, and, like, he knows what he's doing with those, whether or not... He... Yeah. For and other mean, people, you also, know. Also, like, yeah. definitely, I, I am biased. Yes. 100% I am biased. Yeah, because uh, Jack White's one of your bigger, if not biggest, influences within well, music. Well, okay. Um, see... Within there. So, the White Stripes are were very important for me mm. learning about music. Right because the these are fun guitar riffs that are relatively simple right very straightforward song structures easy to learn guitar too easy to learn on guitar and but are fun right um and that still hold up yes uh as the 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 musician that i am today no right (laughs) um right that's not really a well that i pull from very often and when I do, it doesn't look nearly anything. Like, it's not... Yeah. Right, I get what you're saying. Um, for... Do you got anything else about the album overall you want to talk about? Or do you want to kind of go and get into the tracks? Uh, we should probably just get into the tracks. I, I just... I love this album. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Okay. Um, Connected by Love is... I think it does a great job of introducing what the album is going to be overall. It's still Jack White, mm-hmm. but there's a lot more production in it. There's a lot more stuff you wouldn't expect um, instrumentally from Jack White based off of his other uh, musical endeavors. But it's also a little bit slower. Connected by Love, I think, is the weakest song on the album. Mm, that's and a hot take. I n- <laughs> and I know this. Um, I, I remember what, being... Yeah, s- what don't you like about it? Um, well, I mean, we were just talking about lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is one of those times where he was going for something and he just missed the fucking mark. Mm. Um, I like this concept, like the whole premise of the song being connected by love i think that it's meant to convey like an overarching like uh uh humanity style like we all this is something that we all experience this is something that we all need Mm. um but then intercut with the because to say we're connected by love on a personal level to a romantic interest which is what the verses feel like Mm. um seems very childish okay uh not childish what's the word i'm looking for um sophomore naive sophomoric uh very unrefined and and not right. not uh not like intentionally blunt or intentionally stripped down but very just like we get it you read r and j 
Sorry, you read Romeo and Juliet. Like, <laughs> right. Like, you, we get it. You 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 like Shakespeare's tragedies. Like, get over yourself. We're connected by, um, and so the 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 idea. So I so be based on that. I would assume that the, uh, the concept of connected by love is supposed to be like an overarching humanitarian concept, okay. and then intersplicing that with the verses that are definitely about a singular person about a woman mm. specifically referring to this person and calling this person woman. Like mm-hmm. not, not like you are a woman, but woman, listen to what I'm saying. Right. Like I, not great. No, um, I understand that. I actually, I have a different take okay. on the lyrics. I think this is a song. This is his divorce song. Mm-hmm. It's the song he wrote about his divorce mm-hmm. with the um, parent of his kids. And I think it's this entire thing of, like, everything that we do, everything you do, everything that's going to happen from here on out, like, no matter what bullshit goes on, like, whether or not you want it, we're connected by this thing that happened to us that we called love. Mm. It doesn't matter how terrible of a person you are or how terrible of a person I am or how good we are or whatever. Mm -hmm. No matter what we do for the rest of our life, everything we do is connected by the thing that we had called love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get where if you're taking more of like, this is a holistic view versus a, a personal view, mm-hmm. I can see how you get to like, this is a little sophomoric. It's a little unrefined, but right. I think as a, I think emotional plea in, is in a little. In that context, it makes a lot more sense yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and when I say that this is the weakest track on the album, I don't mean that I dislike this song. Right. Um, I was I was disappointed because this was the first song released from the album. Right. This was the first single. This was the promotional single. From right. The, yeah. And I remember being like, okay. Right. Yeah. And I think, but I think the um, musicality of it and the instrumentation of it also, like I said earlier, it does a good job of setting you up for what to expect for the rest of the album of, it's still going to be Jack White. You know, it's still Jack White. He still has Jack White guitar in there, Jack White piano, all that stuff. But the background of it, the, I think this is also, there's also, there's this entire album has a lot of hand percussion within it. Mm -hmm. And this song also has hand percussion that comes in towards the end. Um, a lot of um, a lot of synth as well. Yeah, it it also definitely felt um, kind of poppy. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, especially like it was a very it's a very straightforward structure. Um, yeah, and between that and like I get I suppose misunderstanding the chorus, you could say. Right. No, for um, sure. When I first heard the song, I was like, um, well, I mean, it's not bad. There are definitely Jack White solo songs that I like less than this, but this is not something that sticks out to me as a great song. Right. Um, and I don't think I I like it a lot. I don't think it's the weakest, but I don't think it's the best. I think it's it's upper it's upper like upper middle, lower mm-hmm. lower top. You know, I, I definitely think there's a lot of lot better tracks on this album than than this one, but I think it's a really solid open as as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I think it's the weakest track. I don't dislike it as a song. I think right. it's a good way to open an album. Uh, and then it goes to Why Walk a Dog, which I... Fucking great. I really don't like it. You really don't like it. I really thing? don't like... I just don't get the point. Like, I, hmm. It's not that I don't get the point of it. 
It's that I just feel like this is a song that I've heard so many times before. Really? Yeah, it just doesn't feel... The rest of the album feels unique and interesting. Whereas this one just kind of feels like, yeah, it's a sad, blues, bluesy ballad. Mm-hmm. Like, I heard that before. Why? Like, the lyrics of it also are just kind of like, okay, this is interesting and introspective, but nothing really special to write home about, which I think is fair for the entire album. You know, it's it's introspective, but nothing too... Lyricism is not Jack White's gift right as as a musician you know uh Um, yeah it's definitely yeah lyricism there are again we'll get to lyrics on later songs that i really enjoy right um but yeah why walk a dog not strong lyrically um i don't know there's something about the production of it Mm. and i didn't i spent less time with this album listening through it right um because i'd never listened to 10 before um, and it's also been a, but it's also been a while since I've listened to this one. Right. Um, so I'm mostly going off of, uh, memories and general impressions of songs. Right. Um, and yeah, I, there's, I don't know, there's something like it, the song itself. And also I should say the production is part of what I love about this album as a right. whole. No, for sure. Um, and I think the production is what makes me enjoy this song. Mm. For sure. I think just for me, Why Walk a Dog kind of falls into that slow, kind of folksy blues roots rock mm-hmm. subgenre that I, I've spent a lot of time in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's why it doesn't feel anything special to me. It's like, yeah, it's a song with with organ and a heavy, a like, like distorted electric guitar that's slow with some of its soloing, but like it doesn't. I've just heard that so many times. Um, right. And so for me, it's it's not anything special, I guess, in that sense, where the rest of the album feels like e- each song is either doing what it's trying to do very well or it's a special song. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's that's why. For, but also it's, it's a shorter it's, it's song. It's a mess song. Yeah. It, you know, I, I think kind of with you where it's you don't like Connected by Love, but you you don't hate it. Yeah. I think that's where I fall on. It's just kind of a run of the mill. Like, yeah, it's, it's one of those for me. Um corporation which we kind of talked about as well love it i yeah i absolutely love, it. love that song it's so it's so like it's simultaneously reserved and bombastic which is i feel pretentious saying that sentence out loud but I, get like, I get what you're saying though um that that uh that keyboard riff the yeah no it's great and then um the way that it just brings in that low guitar just yeah. on, on one bum, note. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and, and also, like, f- time for me to sound slightly pretentious. Uh, this kind of reminds me just very slightly of, of early Afrobeat stuff. Mm. Um, specifically because I watched um, the new um, Paul McCartney docu- docuseries on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about... Um, uh, I'm going to... I'll look at him up here in a second but like one of the, the founders of afrobeat in um laos he went and saw one of his um shows when he was um recording um mccartney three i think or something like one of one of his wings albums um and how like that entire experience of seeing like them perform that song and this artist would do like 20 minute songs mm-hmm. and it still had like the entire flow and that they would just release songs and it was their entire band behind them 
and that was the album was just this one song, but it was like a 25, 30, like 30 minute song. Um, and it was very heavy on no matter what happens throughout the rest of the song. Cause it was very like jazz funk rock influenced, but mm-hmm. the entire base of the song was the hand percussion, just keeping the same beat mm-hmm. the entire time. Um, and so that it came off as slightly a little bit influenced from that of no matter what else is happening in the song, we're having, um, hand percussion driving the back of the song, no matter, no matter where we go with it until the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, sorry, I, my, my, <laughs> the song was playing in my head. And so my brain was totally elsewhere. You're fine. Um, cause I was just thinking about the lyrics again and the, uh, the, the, the call, the, uh, the who's with me, mm-hmm. um, I think kind of defines that whole tongue in cheek value of, yeah. of that, of that song where it's like. I'm thinking about starting a corporation. I'm thinking about it. Uh, I'm thinking about investing in the exploitative system and starting a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Right. Come on, comrades, who's with me? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like the uh, juxtaposition of those two things. Yeah. And yeah. the guy I was talking about earlier was uh, where it's like I'm go. I'm I'm venturing out on this purely selfish endeavor. Who wants to join me? Right. You know, I love that so much. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, so uh, who I was talking about earlier was uh, Fela Kuti, was uh, the artist's name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they they did a lot of stuff in the 70s um, and kind of helped mainstream Afrobeat. Um, that is still, you know, parts of very important genres, specifically within um, global hip-hop, kind mm-hmm. of some of those things. So, yeah. Very cool. But, yeah, so, so Corporation, and I think... Th- the thing that I really appreciated this second run through is just the amount of like, oh no, he's going for a very R and B hip hop focus with a lot of hand percussion in it. Like the the amount of hand percussion in every single song, yeah, is impressive. It's not something you really see anyone go for, especially within ostensibly ostensibly like a rock album, right? In, in the year twenty eighteen, you know, yeah, like that's not something you you ever really think of, so. Yeah, and then this uh, next one is uh, the spoken word poem. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, the the uh, <laughs> the uh, long wait. <laughs> what's the what's the phrase? It's not long walk for a tall drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> long walk for a short drink of water. <laughs> I, I the only thing I can think of is it's you know a tall glass a tall glass of water you know, you know a man who's a drink that's all I got it's, so it's, it's almost a minute of a, a minute and a half mm. it's almost a minute and a half of this guy basically spewing a bunch of bullshit before being like can I have some more tea <laughs> can I can, right. would you refill my glass with some hot right. water I think the um I read that um, I'm blanking on who the person is, but this is someone that Jack White wanted, like had been wanting to work with, really liked his voice. And he was in town. He's like, Hey, can you come do this thing? He's like, sure. And it's like, cool. I'm going to write a poem for you to read. All right, cool. <laughs> it's so good. Cause it's so, it's so over the top and ridiculous for so long. Like it's mm-hmm. such a, uh, it teases you for so long because it's literally the whole, the majority of the thing is just this guy being like, hey, I'm going to tell you about the thing I'm about to ask you. Right. Let me tell you for almost a minute and a half 
about this question I'm going to ask mm. you. A bunch of things that are uh, that have a lot of gravitas to them. A lot of things. I'm going to use some some real intense vocab words, right. and you're and I need you to listen so that you fully understand this question. Can I have some more tea or whatever? whatever right. It is yeah, I think it is that. It feels like a philosophy student who is at a bar <laughs> like someone who who majored in philosophy isn't doing philosophy but still really likes philosophy and is kind of just a bar fly right it's just kind of going off about you it's know, a minute and a half long shit post yeah 100 percent. yeah <laughs> and it's it's great for what it is um i think it's a little for, forgettable i don't think it's good or bad but like it's 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 good for what it is you know like it, it fits in the it fits within everything the album is trying to do really well because it kind of goes in between this hyper production little less production but still just weird stuff that's happening it, yeah it, it flows well i i think it works really well in the album mm -hmm. i think that if you were just to show that track to somebody i mean that, that's it's just one of those things that it's in it's part of the album right yeah you don't listen it's to that not, by it, itself yeah it's not a track it's part of it's part of uh, boarding house reach yeah and that goes oh, uh, hyper hyper I, misophonia hi, yeah um love this song love I this song so can't much remember this song by name i'm gonna be real because like this is ever since this album released this is mm -hmm. something that i just listen to front to back whenever i'm listening to it right um so i, I have a really hard time with track names on this, this is album. the one with the um incredibly strange instrumentation to start where it feels like there's no real Oh, yeah. between the... stuff yeah 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 and then the drums kind of come in and the piano comes in and it kind of becomes more of a traditional yeah i love that so it's... like the way it goes from this like completely unmusical bleep bloop sound mm -hmm. and then like that is in the song like the actual making song. it musical it, yeah. it it literally is like forced into a musical context right it's so clever the way it happens right yeah jack art was saying that um hyper misophonia Hi hyper misophoniac um that's not an actual term but misophoniac is a term which is like the fear of music mm. and so hyper misophoniac is him trying to like okay what would that be for me like I what? thought that was uh, that Cage the Elephant album. Uh, oh, fuck. I can't remember what it's called. There's a different word that they use for the Cage the Elephant. Uh, Melophobia or something yeah. like that. Well, I, yeah, so it's probably within the same yeah. um, genre of phobias. Oh, of phobias, yeah. yeah. But so that was the um, reason that it's such a weird intro and outro is because he was like, well, how, do we, how do I create stuff that for me sounds not musical and make it musical right um and yeah just his whole thing of like even the entire lyrical aspect of it is talking about like yeah isn't this there's nothing for you to do like when you're trying to rob a bank like you're just mm -hmm. in it you're just in it and i think that's also um what he's trying to do within this entire song is he's just you're we're here we're here when you're playing music you're playing music yeah you're there's, there's nothing else to do like you're just in it and um even the idea of the way that he's producing it like i think this is kind of a good um overarching this is I, a theme for the for the album for the album is like we're just here and we're in it and there's no way you can get away from it right no matter how much you try so i think that's brilliant yeah it's incredibly well done and the fact that it it translates 
or um, transfers its ideas in so many different ways, and then it ends the same way it begins. Just well done, very well right. done. Uh, Ice Station Zebra. Ice Station Zebra. Okay, so uh, we said we weren't gonna go track by track, and now we're going track by track. That's fine. But I also I fucking love this song. Um, it's I just this is this is one of the high points in the album. Right, uh, is Ice Station. It, well, I mean, honestly, the le- these. Hypermisophoniac, Ice Station Zebra, and Over and Over and Over are all They're back to back to back. And then everything you've ever learned is like, uh, it's like a little breath of fresh air. Right. I get what you're saying. In yeah. the oddest way. Yeah. No. Uh, it's like I a s- breath of musty air, but it's like really yeah. re- enjoyable. No, for sure. Um, Ice Station Zebra, it does a great job of like, oh, this is if Jack White tried to do hip hop. And like, it kind of works. It's so all over the place. Yeah. And I love that about it. Yeah. And I think this is part of the, we would, Jack White saying we would go in and we would have a jam session and then we would kind of cut it down from there of like that. This is the biggest, you had a jam session and then tried to right. make it. If I remember right, that's one of the songs, uh, not one of the songs. There's, there's a song in this album where there's a tiny sound bite If you're paying attention where you can hear Jack saying something like, okay, let's get back to the song we're actually tracking or something like yeah, that. Something like, yeah, I think, <laughs> I, it's either, I think it's this one. It's either this one or Respect Commander because those two oh, are it kind might of... Have been Respect Commander. Because those two are kind of within the God, same... That song's so good. That song, too. yeah, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, it's just good. It's just a good, like, very aggressive, slightly punk, slightly hip-hop, um, which hip hop is kind of the new punk, which is kind of the... hip Punk is kind of the new hip-hop. Like, this, it's kind of melds the musical ideas of what's happening right now very well together of like punk is hip-hop and hip-hop is punk and those two are kind of inseparable mm-hmm. so here's jack white doing punk hip-hop stuff right. it's it's good it's good um over and over and over and over and over um is actually a song that he originally wrote in 2005 and then has been trying to make work ever since i love that so much because um, i've been there right <laughs> um yeah, he tried to do it with White Stripes. He tried to do it with Jay-Z, because um, he was collaborating with Jay-Z for a while with stuff that never came out. Um, tried to do it with The Dead Weather. Tried to do it with Rack and Tears, his other two projects. It and... would have been so good with The Dead Weather. But I'm really glad he held it for this. Like, I'm really glad he held it for this. Because yeah. the, the riff, this is the most Jack White song on the album, I think. Of like, yeah, this is a Jack White riff. This is a... Well, see, that's the thing, is that, like... If if you asked high school Jared, he would say, "Yeah, over and over and over is the only Jack White song on this album." Right. Um, but with this being the third Jack White solo outing, mm. um, and I there's an interview somewhere with him talking about like people expect me to play guitar, and I'm so over playing guitar. Like right. they'll 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 like they want me to play guitar on a track, and I'm like, I guess I'll do it we could get somebody else to do it, but I guess I'll do it. Right. Um, and, um, I think that that has changed cause I've seen him play a lot more guitar recently. And also between Lazaretto and this album, there have been a lot more guitar focused tracks. Right. Um, but I feel like that, um, that side of Jack White has been dialed back a lot. And, and the explanation of this was written during White Stripes and then right. kicked around and then finally tracked. I think that makes a lot more sense than, like, 
this is the most Jack White song. Okay, yeah, no, that's fair. That's um, very fair. This is lyrically the best song on this album. It's put together incredibly well. It has great backing vocals throughout the entire time. All of the breakdowns are great. The the harmonies in the backing vocals on the chorus are so dense. Yes. And it's like it just beats you over the head every time and it's so brilliant and works so well for the song, especially mm-hmm. specifically for the for the concept of uh Sisyphus rolling the the rock up the hill, right. rolling yeah. the boulder up the hill. Um Yeah, where it's like every time every time that chorus uh every time those melodies hit, it feels like the boulder rolling back down. Yeah. You know what I mean? And every single time it it goes back to the riff and it's the da 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 da, da and you're like oh we're still we're still here right. we're still here it's different but it's the same it 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 that does a great job and then just the um towards the end one of the backing vocalists just kind of going on a little bit of like a yeah a little bit of like a gospel solo kind of yeah. yeah that's so well done as well and it's, it's timed perfectly because if that happened too often within the song mm-hmm. it'd be overwhelming and too much but the fact that it's it's tucked in the back have you ever seen the music but video the music video is great the music video is so good it's, it's like great production me off. it's great production yeah um <laughs> but yeah no so over and over and over definitely one of the high points of the album and i think the fact that it comes right after ice station zebra it's also yeah, just, where it's yeah. like we went from one of the weirdest songs, like Ice Station's Eve is a pretty weird song. Yeah, it's I, it's the most unusual for people coming in expecting Jack White. Right, um, going from that to over and over and over, where it's like this is the White Stripes. Right, you know yeah. that like this oh is, yeah, this is a rock and roll song in this, your face. This is this is Jack White on guitar yeah. with a fuzz pedal. Right, doing Jack White things. Cool, cool. And then it goes into hello. <laughs> Welcome to everything you've ever learned. Brought to you by Hello. 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 Just a weird Welcome to everything you've ever learned. Just a weird ass song, man. And I love the fact that the first half of this song, and it's only like a two minute song, the first half of the song is just that repetition of that. And then it goes into. Again, it's the weirdest like breath of fresh air after going through. Uh, hyper hyper misophoniac Ice Station Zebra and over and over and over again, all back to back to back. And then like. Just, just, a, just like a solid like minute, minute and a half, minute, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of of Jack White doing this weird announcer thing, and there's like a slight reference to like commodification and like the um how you know everything is everything is run by advertising, everything right. is fueled 100%. by advertising yeah. today. Um, and the fact that then it goes into more of that hand percussion right. of. And that that just picks it back up, and then that the like second, not even the second half, the last like twenty seconds of this song are also just like, oh yeah, this is also Jack White doing the White Stripes again because it's just two notes back and forth with a with a lot of drums just hitting cymbals. You know, it's 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 super enjoyable. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's one of those things. It the, this is an album. Uh, I'm I'm talking about the album as a whole again, mm-hmm. where it's just like what well, you can peel back layers like you can sit down with a pair of headphones mm-hmm. and listen to this song and you will hear things that you've never heard before right 
and uh or you can just listen to it in the car on your way home from right. work and and you can bop around and be like yeah this was this is a good song i, I, I think song. it's the most it's a very oceany um album where it it can go as deep as you want it to be or it can be as shallow as you need it to be right you know like it it's there well i don't float so <laughs> i just go straight down well that's why there's that's why there's beaches there's shallow the shallow right. parts of the ocean um Respect Commander, Commander. Yeah. so good. I the thing I love the most about Respect Commander is that there's the 30 second intro of the drums doing its thing and a little bit of other stuff, and then it's like, all right, and now we pick it up and the drums just double time it. It's the oh, most. Oh, yep, yeah. that's you're right. Yep. This is the one where he's like, let's get back to the actual thing. And yeah, then... this is the most. Um, I think sampley song. Also, even though none of these are samples, it's the most. We're creating samples with the live stuff specifically. Mm-hmm. I think introducing the idea of like there's this slower slowed down slow jam version of it um that then he's like no let's get to what we actually want to do and they just double time everything um yeah i think it's a really well done really well crafted um song kind of within again that ice station zebra of like a little bit of hip-hop a little bit of very aggressive not beat poet specifically but in invoking that Mm -hmm. um delivery there's a lot of that that happens um within this album uh, more so than what jack white has done in the the past specifically um but then we go to probably the most not the most out of place but the most interesting um change of feel to esmeralda steals the show this is where you're gonna have to remind me what song this is again this is the slow um acoustic guitar where he talks through a, a little girl getting up to a microphone and uh, capturing the audience That's right yeah it, it is kind of it's a little out of place but it's so engrossing at the same time to me right least. i think it also does a great job of um bringing you in to the story and i think a little bit also i just want to say i feel so silly being like i love this album i love this album <laughs> so much oh yeah which song is this again <laughs> oh you're fine uh, <laughs> you're fine um <laughs> I think the thing with Esmeralda Steals the show is that similar to um, kind of corporation that we were talking about earlier, where lyrically it's a little bit of like, yeah, this is a little ridiculous. And with everything you've ever learned of like, it's a little ridiculous of, you know, this was written in 2017, 2018 of just like really, really heavy protests happening. And the fact that, so many people are not paying attention to the stuff that they're even at because they're so engrossed in every other stuff. And the only thing that can really get their attention is this small girl stepping up to the microphone mm-hmm. and she only has, you know, like five words to, to say. And I think it, I'm, I'm going to pull it up to make sure, but you know, it's just, uh, it's like, oh, I feel I'm embarrassed that I can't remember what it is right now. Um, it's like you all are totally insane or something like that. Yeah. It's, you people are totally absurd. You, yeah, and absurd. it's absurd. Yeah, and this entire thing is building up this idea of like this small, this little girl getting up to a big thing with everyone watching, and that's the only thing that are finally getting everyone. And it's just like, yeah, get. I think it's a very time and place thing. I think this is also part of the reason why I'm like, I don't know if he's trying to be tongue in cheek or he's trying to say something. Right. And that's where the lyricism of this album is just like, it's a little murky for me. Also, 2018 was a bit before, um, you know, major 
protests were going on. Um, like context wise, mm. I I just um like I think that if that if this album were released now, that track would either be totally different or not present. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um. I I think this captures a time and space though because these were the times when protests were happening but they were kind of the white liberal yeah center sure. left protesting of we dislike the fact um, that Donald Trump is outwardly this racist right and There's... is making it difficult for me to feel okay about right. going <laughs> we should have elected Hillary yeah. <laughs> oh yeah anyway uh <laughs> yeah but i think it it captures that time and place you know that those were the types of protests that were happening before that were very family friendly that were very much we're all in this together right a little naive a little, a little yeah um if this yeah. came out now it would be completely different because you know the idea of protesting and and speaking out against things there's and... an episode mm-hmm. bringing that up there's an episode of uh hate your neighbor i think it's on hulu mm. um this uh it's a really good show people should watch it it's um this comedian from the UK he's black and he I think the first episode he goes and like spends an evening with a KKK member. Okay. Um, and like, this is a real like documentary style show and, okay. he, and like, that's his thing. Not trying to totally change the subject right now. Just, uh, the, uh, just picturing, uh, white liberal, like, uh, you know, look at me. I, I'm on the right side of history, mm-hmm. uh, sort of protesting, you know, being within the confines of what's legal. Right. Right. Like <laughs> we uh, got the permits yeah, for this it's, protest. It's, yeah. It, yeah. We got the permits for this protest, that sort of thing. Um, there's an episode of that where there's uh, uh, some like right wing jackass speaker is supposed to come to this college. And then there's this huge like clash of like, there's a bunch of right wingers at this college who are like free speech. And then there's a bunch of people on the other side who are just like, uh, this guy is like evil and he should not be here or even alive. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and there basically the episode ends with this dude being like, basically being like, you people are totally absurd. Mm -hmm. Like the, where he's, and it, it, hard for me to convey properly everything that happens in this in right. a short amount of time but basically it was just a completely useless endeavor on both sides right um and i think that's the sort of concept that was like built out of for this song mm. where it's mm. like okay you think you're protesting but you're not really and you're a you're a nut job i mean sorry you're you're like <laughs> you know completely in the wrong mm-hmm. so y'all are crazy yeah y'all, y'all this is a waste of time for everyone at the moment yeah no for sure um which then it leads into probably my favorite one of my favorite songs on the album getting the mind trapped just the most like funky jazz fusion oh yeah weird odyssey because it's it also starts with a lot of um synth and and piano to start and then mm. it just goes places and it's it's just fun it's just a fun song man i really like it does it matter what a, a mind shaft is no it really doesn't <laughs> a mind a mind shaft yes a mind shaft isn't that your brainstem yeah well i mean you only access it through playing this piano um in this one place you know so 
Um, What's done is done. Um, I really like it. I think it's the more stripped down version of Connected by Love. The more just like, hey, this is a bluesy, soulful um, ballad a little bit. Having trouble remembering it right now. It's mostly piano. Um, and then at the very end, the thing I the thing I like the most about it is at the very end, it then brings back more of that um, synth, um, filtery, a little bit of um, funk, mm-hmm. um, piano playing at the end, where it's like, yeah, no, this is, it's been all very straightforward, very straight laced for the most part, and then hey, don't forget, we're doing all of this weird stuff on this album as well. I think it's it's really well done. And then uh, humoresque. Um, Jack White's version of like 1930s. Um, I don't know how to describe it specifically, but it's it's evoking a very old timey musical style. I'm honestly having such a hard time. Like, it's I I remember. We can, we can pause this and we can listen to it real quick. That would be great. Yeah, because I am so. Yeah, humoresque. It's like a straight ahead jazz song, um, like lounge singer jazz kind of right after that roaring 20s as the world is starting to settle down a little bit and and jazz is hitting the mainstream more but you know white people need to be able to still smoke their cigarettes and abuse their women in a a respectable place uh yeah uh i think i think i think it's a good song um it's like it See, that's the thing about this album is that there are very few tracks, and this is why I always listen to it front to back, is that right. like there aren't really tracks that I would like take out. Like over and over and over, I have in a couple of playlists. I might have Ice Station Zebra in a couple of playlists. Right. Um, but this album is an album. It's yes. not a collection of songs. For sure. And Humoresque is one of those that like yeah you can listen to it to it on its own but like part of what makes this song is the like the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. in this album in my opinion i think it's also just a really good breath of fresh air after you've been taken so many different places it's the most analog feeling album or song on the album yeah it's definitely got um production wise it feels um not it feels like a modernly tracked straight ahead jazz song to me. Right. Um, as far as production goes. And that's uh, not a bad thing. It's definitely not the most interesting production wise mm-hmm. to me. Um, but it's enjoyable. Right. All right. So I do not have poll quotes for these um, reviews at the time but these are kind of the contemporary stuff uh rolling stone gave it a 3.5 it was kind of like it's a breath of fresh air but nothing super enjoy like new about like you know it's like i'm glad it it exists but it's not revolutionary right uh nme gave it five out of five stars thought it was fantastic musically brilliant Mm -hmm. then the lowest one that i found from a respectable outlet uh from pitchfork Give it a 4.7 out of 10. What? They the really didn't heck? like it. They thought it had a lot of interesting ideas and never hit on any of them. And it all just kind of, it's a slog to get through. Is kind of what they were saying of like, they just felt like it didn't hit the th- stuff it was going to. It didn't feel connected in any way, really. So by love or otherwise. 
Right. Um, so, yeah. So it, I also, I, I remember the listening through this for the first time today. Not the first time I listened through this album today. Right. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, this is literally just like listening to KMHD, the local jazz station, mm. late at night. Yeah, that's fair. Where, um, I mean, there are certain nights of the week where it's just like lo-fi hip hop, pretty much. Um, but <laughs> right. but there are other nights of the week where it's like they just let the DJs play whatever, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will go, and it'll go all over the place like this album does, and right. it's super enjoyable, and I love it. And I think that that's, um, that's definitely not everyone's cup of tea. Right. And I think that this is probably Jack White's most divisive work that he's put out before because everything else has kind of fallen into this um, blues rock, indie rock. Right. This is definitely the most he's reached outside of Mm -hmm. that. Like, you know, it's been a long time since I listened to Blunderbuss. I don't think I've ever even listened to Blunderbuss front to back. Um, Lazaretto, I think I only listened to like half the songs on Lazaretto. But... um, the um th- this is the most i think that he's pushed himself outside of his comfort zone right and i think that he did a phenomenal job with it yeah i think it's understandable that this was a divisive album when it came out mm-hmm. um and i especially for me like my expectations are not what it was and i was it was off putting for me at first but coming back to it again you know i think it's definitely one of the more um bold experimental and well-produced albums that that's come out recently especially from someone who intentionally boxed themselves in for so long the fact that this is the first time expanding outside of those comfort zones outside of the walls of what you know right to pull it off so well whether or not every single song does exactly what it needs to the best you know that's that's debatable but overall i think it's a it's a fantastic listening experience um so we're going to rate it out of two. Out of two. Out of two. And how we do it is the higher the number, the better we like it. Similar yeah. to a uh, is one to ten scale. The higher the number is, the better. So Right. And the way it'll get ranked is we take the total minus the score, and mm-hmm. that's the position. Yeah. It makes more sense on paper. You'll see it <laughs> makes sense. All right. So I'm going to give uh, Boarding House Reach a two out of two. That's high praise. It is really high praise. You know what? I adore this album. I don't care who knows it. I'm also giving it a two out of two. Okay. So with the two out of two, it officially knocks 10 down to number two on our list. Yeah. And uh, takes the number one spot. So our list currently is Boarding House Reach, number one, and 10, number two. Um. So now we are at the point of the show where we're going to pick the stuff that we do for the next episode. Cool. All right. So how we do this is we both have a list of 10 albums that we are personally picking um, that we feel comfortable rating and reviewing going forward. Uh, So Jared has 10 and I have 10 and we're going to be rolling a 10 sided die to figure out which, uh, album we're gonna take so jared we're gonna go first for you i'm already ready to go all right it's a four all right it's a four which means we are going to be doing blood pressures by the kills as yours for the next time all right and for me 
not a, a nine. That's a nine. Which means we're going to do Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron next time. <laughs> All right. So that's going to be super fun. Um, and we encourage you guys to reach out to us uh, either on Twitter or Facebook at Tape Makers Pod. Um, to let us know what some of your suggestions are. We're going to compile a list of 10 from uh, what we're calling friends and family. We already have some um, from personal people we know that we asked, but once we hit 10, we're also going to pull a third album each episode Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about from the community and other people like that. Uh, So that's super exciting. And you can also contact us, uh, let us know what you think we got wrong. Be nice about it. Um, Or uh, your opinions. Um, through either that Facebook page or Twitter profile. And then you can also email us at tapemakerspod at gmail.com to get in contact with us as well through there. Uh, and that has been our first episode. How do you feel about it, Jared? Um, I kind of have to pee. All right. Well, we will get out of here then. Thank you all for listening. Jared, thank you for uh, expressing your musical opinion as well as you did. And I'm very excited to see where we go from here. All right. Thank you, everyone. And until next time, deuces.